You know, I know that, you know, we are in the middle of summer, northern Michigan. And it's so easy for us to get busy and just get lulled or dulled into just thinking that everything's going to be the same. You know, it's going to be another day tomorrow, another sunny day, uh, another day to the beach, another day to the golf course, another day fishing, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, we can get so complacent in our world thinking that everything is going to be good. And I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for the good days. I thank the Lord that I can go golfing into the beach and go fishing and, and enjoy the days. I'm not against that. I think it's awesome. I just think that we need to make sure that we keep our priorities in place. And um, I just think that's the key. I think many times we lose that. We lose our priorities because things are so good. And um, and it is for northern Michigan. We are in a sleepy part of the world. It's really comfortable up here, and it's safe for the most part. Um, but, you know, there's going to come a time when things are going to change. There's going to come a time when it's going to change, and it's going to change quickly. And it's not going to go back. And we need to be thinking about that. We need to be prepared for that time. And that's why I feel it's so important for us to be speaking about the things that we're speaking of right now. We're speaking about the end times. We've been thinking about that, preaching about that, teaching about that for a long time in our church. And I believe it's important that we we focus on that. And that doesn't mean that we don't live for the day. We live for the day when we stay encouraged and we do life. I'm not saying we don't do that. But I think it's important that we stay aware of the times. And I think that's why it's important that this study is, is important for us to do it. And, and why? I have two major reasons. Well, number one, because I need, I believe it's important that we warn the church of God's coming wrath on the earth. We warn the church. We warn the world that God is, God is a loving God, but God also has a justified wrath. And there's a time coming that his wrath will be poured out on the world. And then also we want to teach to instruct those that may miss the next big event, which is the rapture, the taking away of the church, to show them that God's great mercy and his love still exists, even in the worst time of earth's history, in the tribulation time. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, last week and today, So I think it's important that we study this and uh, we are aware of it. We need to understand that God has emotions. We are created in the image of God, correct? Do you have emotions? Do you have happy times and sad times? Do you have anger? Do you have feelings that come up, arise within you? Well, if you do, know that God does as well. God never loses his temper. I might lose my temper, Sometimes I have a problem with that, as you do as well, probably. But yet God has emotions. And that he also has limits to his emotions. We need to know that God is patient. God is a patient God. He's a loving God. But even he has limitations. And there's going to come a day where his patience is going to run out. And he's going to say, it's time. I've given the world all the time I could 
to come back to me. And there's going to come a time when his patient runs out. And when that time happens, he will pour out his righteous and just wrath on the people of the world that have rejected him. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want to talk first about God's patience and long-suffering because he is patient. He's long-suffering to a people that have rejected him over and over. The psalmist says in Psalms chapter 78, he says, Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved his heart in that dry wasteland. Again and again, they tested God's patience and provoked the Holy One of Israel. We're talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people is the apple of God's eye. That's the purpose. That's why the tribulation is going to happen primarily is for the Jewish nation so that they will ultimately, at the end of the tribulation, recognize Christ as the Messiah. But God is patient with them, and he's been patient with us and them, and he's also patient with us. The Apostle Peter expresses God's patience with all people today, even as we're living as in the days of Noah, as we're living in that last days. Peter describes that God is patient in the days that we live in. And I want to read to you Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 13. It's a relatively long passage. If you have your Bible, you can turn in it. You can read it with me on the screen. But God is patient, even if there continues to be the scoffers and the mockers. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, beginning at verse 3, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient. Listen, he's being patient, not for his sake, but for our sake. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. We better pray. This is pretty big. Let's pray. Father, we need you today. You have some words that you want us to know. And God, we want our hearts to be open. So I pray right now that you would just clear our minds, clear our hearts, and let us focus in on what you have for us today. Lord, help the words to be spoken truth. And help it to be spoken in love. 
And God, help us to receive all that you have. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But looking at this passage, do you see the scoffers of today? Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Now, maybe they aren't flagrantly scoffing, but by their deliberate lifestyle and their actions, it's pretty obvious that they're, that they're proving their disbelief in what the Bible says. Maybe they don't even know what it says. Maybe they're so busy living for themselves, living in their own desires that they're not even aware. And I'm talking not just to the world, but I'm talking to the church. Maybe the church is unaware. Maybe the church is in disbelief. I truly believe, as we said last week, that the next biblical event to take place is the rapture of the church, which is the taking away. And it's going to be an instantaneous event. We also mentioned last week that the tribulation doesn't begin with the rapture. The tribulation begins with the signing of the peace treaty between the revealed Antichrist and the nation of Israel. Certainly the rapture has something to do with it, but there's going to be some time period, don't know how long, between that and the signing of the peace treaty. And that will begin God's time clock once again. Last week we spent quite a bit of time going through the time clock. God said 490 years, there's 483 years, there's seven years left to happen. That's the seven-year tribulation. And if you want to hear more, you can, you're welcome to go back and listen to that sermon online and uh, learn a little bit more about that. But um, Daniel 9.27 makes it clear that the tribulation begins with the treaty. It says in Daniel 9.27, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven or seven years. But after half this time, three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And that will begin, that signing will begin the seven-year tribulation. So we talked about God's patience. God's going to come, there's going to come a time when God is running to the limit of his patience and he's going to say it's time. And I believe we're getting close to that day. And in scripture, quite often, that day, that set of time, that period of time, remember, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So when we say the day of the Lord, it's not just a, a it's not always, it can be, but not always a 24-hour period of time. A day can be a period of time. And so quite often in Scripture, we find that the rapture and the tribulation are are associated with the day of the Lord. It's called that quite often. And that day of the Lord is going to be the time when God personally intervenes to accomplish his plan to purify Israel and restore his people in a relationship with himself that they finally recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the purpose. As well as to pour out his wrath, his just wrath, on the evil of the world and all the people. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 9. It says, see, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Joel chapter 1, verse 15, the day of the Lord is near. 
the day when destruction comes from the Almighty, how terrible that day will be. He's referring to that time period of the day. And there's many other references in Scripture. You're welcome to go to, uh, to research it yourself. But one of the characteristics of the last day, the last days that we're talking about here, that just precede the rapture and the ensuing tribulation, is something that we don't like to think about, but it's called the apostasy, a great falling away. And it's interesting to note that one can't fall from a place where they're not at. The world is already fallen. It can't fall any farther. So what is he talking about? Where is the apostasy going to happen? Where is this great falling away going to occur? It's going to occur in the church. Because the church at one time was at a place when in a good relationship with the Lord. But there's going to come a falling away or apostasy means that we fall away from that relationship we had with God. Scriptures say that there will be a great falling away or an apostasy. In fact, the day of the Lord will not come until the falling away comes first. That's prophesied. Paul describes it this way. As I read this, recognize that he's writing to the brethren. That means he's writing to the church. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the first three verses, it says, Now brethren, the church, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Now, let me stop here for a second. There was some false teaching happening in the church that were saying that the rapture has already happened, and they missed it. And there was great turmoil, as you can imagine, in the church, because they believed Jesus was coming back at any time. The early church was convinced that Jesus was coming back, that his return, the rapture, was going to happen in their lifetime some almost 2,000 years ago. So Paul was addressing this misdoctrine, this miscommunication, this untruth, and that's why he writes this. But so he says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, that day is the rapture, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now who is that? That's the Antichrist. So the Antichrist will be revealed after the great falling away and after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist comes on the scene. So Paul is describing basically what he's describing in this right now, this great falling away. Paul is describing America. He's describing the church in America. Many of the mainline denominations are struggling big time with their faith. They're struggling with the truth. That firm foundation that we sang about earlier today, they're struggling because they've gotten off the foundation of God's word. And now they're in the relevancy of political correctness, the wokeness of this world. And unfortunately, many of them are falling trapped to it. Many of the mainline denominations are struggling because they don't have enough fear of God. Their fear is more of man than of God. Woe to that man. You know, when I became a pastor here in 2009, I, 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 for those that know my story, this wasn't my plan. I'm an electrical engineer. Became a pastor. And when that happened, the thing that God placed in my heart is this. Someday I'm going to stand before him. And he's given me some words to say. 
Scripture, the Bible. And if I'm afraid of people to the point where I compromise what God's Word says, he's going to say, Mike, who gave you the right? Who gave you the right to change what I said? I said these things. And that's what I asked you to send. That's what I asked you to say. And that has burned in my soul so deep that I'm not afraid of you. (laughs) I love you. I love people, but I'm not afraid of people. I'm afraid of God. I have a healthy fear of the Lord because I want him to say, Mike, yeah, you did a good job. Now, I'm not saying it the best I can say it or best other men could say a lot better than I can, but I'm speaking truth and love. And that's my heart. Because there's a great rebellion against God's word and everything it stands for. And I think it's very obvious as we look around, we can see it. Now, this isn't to say that there isn't going to, there aren't going to be pockets of revival. I love the fact that we're praying for revival. I want revival in Charlevoix. I want revival in our community. I want people to be saved. And there are going to be pockets of revival around the, around the world, especially in third world countries where it's illegal. Underground churches are having great revivals in Iran. I'm hearing great stories. Muslims are coming to the Lord, and they're coming to the Lord because Jesus is appearing to them in dreams, making himself himself real to them, and they're coming to him, and, and there's a great revival happening. So, yes, the world can be in a great revival, but I think we often miss it because we don't. We think that everything centers around the United States. It doesn't center around us. We're not the apple of God's eye. Israel is. And so we just, we're, we're kind of on the outskirts. Yet we think that because we're this great American country that everything is focused on us. And I love our country. Don't get me wrong. I love our country. I love the freedoms that we have. But sometimes those freedoms are the things that get us in the most trouble. Because when I can, when I'm free to choose what I want to do, huh, my choices aren't always the best ones. Are yours? <laughs> no, I think the freedoms sometimes take us down the rabbit hole of poor choices. And maybe that's the gray areas of God's word. You know, God gives us a lot of gray areas in, in his word. And sometimes I think that there, they are tests for us, for God to say, do you love me more than the world? Do you love me more than the gray areas of the world? Are you looking for the pleasures this life will afford at the expense possibly of eternity? Wow. Sometimes freedoms are hard. I, I often wonder... Um, what's more difficult? And I, I don't want to, I, I want to be careful when I say this because I don't want to miss, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But if somebody walked in this church right now and pointed a gun at my head, would I renounce Jesus or would I stand for him and then take the bullet? I pray that I would take the bullet because, you know, sometimes it's easier to take the bullet then walk out of this church and go into the world of choices and live a righteous life. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the freedoms of this world can be slowly sucking the life out of us. And that's why we need to be reminded, like we did in our worship service today, of who, are, who do we worship? Our freedoms to choose can be the very things that destroy us if we're not careful. Keep that in the front of your mind, in the back of your mind as we continue on. So now I want to, I want to shift now and I want to talk today about what is going to be happening in 
the tribulation period after the rapture takes place, after the seven-year peace treaty has been signed. Last week, we began to describe many of the events, and so today I want to kind of pick up where we left off. And uh, and even though that God is God is going to, I believe, there will be a great revival in the tribulation time. There are the, the 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 two witnesses, the supernatural witnesses that have come from heaven, that preach the gospel on the uh, Temple Mount. There are the hundred and forty four thousand Jewish missionaries that are sealed by God to go out and to evangelize the world. And then there is that gospel angel that is that is um, the world over. Speaking all languages to all people, all tribes and nations will hear the gospel. And then the end will come. But in that time, there will be a counterfeit one world religion, one world church that is established by the false prophet that will be out to destroy everything about God. And quite honestly, we can see the spirit of the Antichrist already. We can already see it happening amongst us, around us already. That there will be a worldwide apostate church, meaning a totally false and against God's church. Now, when the rapture happens, the the only thing that's holding this back right now, the evil back of the Antichrist, is the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible, we talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit that's alive in the church is holding the evil one back. And when the Holy Spirit takes the church out of the world, and he then releases the enemy to have full reign for that seven year period of time. And at that time, this is where there, this is when the one world religion will be established by the false prophet. And this false church will slaughter millions of people, millions of people, those that are saved during the first half of the tribulation. Remember that the the two witnesses, 144,000 missionaries, the gospel angel, they're spreading the gospel for the first three and a half, and millions of people will come to know Jesus. The difference for them then than for us today is that I get to know Jesus today, and I get to have joy, and I get to have peace, and I get to have all the fullness of this world that this world will offer in addition to how I have the peace of God in my life. Those people that receive Christ after this time, they probably will be uh, beheaded, martyred, chased down, sought after, persecuted heavily. Yes, and I pray that they do. Even if they die, they're going to heaven. So there's a good news there, but it's not going to be getting saved to live an abundant life. It's going to be a saved and then run for your life. Because the church, the false church, is coming after them. If you want to read more about that, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 17, and you can read the first 18 verses of that chapter, and that will describe more of what this church is going to be, this false church is going to be like. I just want to read a couple verses um, in that chapter, Revelation chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. It says that the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abomination of the earth, describing that that apostate church, I saw that that woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So many people were martyred and beheaded for their position in Christ by the false church that this mother of prostitutes in John's analogy of what he saw, she was drunk with the blood of people. Drunk with the blood of Christians. This evil and powerful false church will be filled with Satan's power to destroy 
every person that doesn't worship the false prophet and the Antichrist. And it's not going to be a good time. So now, moving on, the probably the event that brings the three and a half years, the midpoint to the, to the last three and a half years, which would be the Great Tribulation, is when there's a great battle in heaven. Satan, at this point in time, has access to heaven. I know maybe this doesn't maybe jive with your theology. I don't know where you're at. But the devil has access to heaven today. He has access to God today. They have conversations. I mean, go back to the book of Job, right? The devil came into God's presence, and God said, where have you been? And Job said, I've been out surveying the world, and I see this one guy. And that's where God says, yeah, see the Job? Yeah, he's my he's my man. And that's where you know the story of Job. Then the devil says, yeah, but he's only your man because you're protecting him. Take, his, take your hand of protection off him, then see what happens, and then we know the story of Job. So Satan, at this point in time, has access to the heavenlies. But in Revelation chapter 12, read with me in verse nine, 7 and 9, it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. That's Satan and his demonic court. But he was not, he, Satan, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient, ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So like I said, up to this point in time, Satan has had a presence in the heavenly realm. And this great battle takes place in heaven between Michael, the archangel, and his righteous angels, and Satan and his demonic angels. And there's a great battle in the heavenly realm, and Satan then is defeated, and he's forever banned from heaven. He will never again be in the presence of God. He will never again be in the heavenly realms. He will be limited to earth. And when he comes to earth, he comes with a purpose and a power to destroy it. And so he has one more final push against God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That's the result of the battle in heaven that Satan lost. So now we are in the middle of the tribulation. The Antichrist breaks his treaty with Israel and he puts a stop to the sacrifices that were happening in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, again, a lot to talk about. We don't have time to get into details. But in that first three and a half years, their temple will be rebuilt and the Old Testament sacrifices will one more, once more be established. They will be sacrificing animals and sacrifice, Old Testament sacrifices in the Temple Mount. Imagine what Peter is going to think about that. <laughs> it's the Jewish people. Again, remember, they haven't recognized Christ as the Messiah. So in their, in their religion, in their faith, they're still doing Old Testament sacrifices to appease God for their sins. And so this is happening now in the three and the first three and a half years. But in the midpoint of that, when Satan is finally cast out of the heavens and thrown to earth, he then fully indwells the Antichrist. And the Antichrist then sits in the temple of God and he then stops all of the animal sacrifices. And at this point in time, he says, the treaty's off, guys. I'm out to to destroy you. He breaks the treaty, 
No more peace. Now it's full-fledged war between the Antichrist and the Jews and all those Christians that have given their heart to Christ in that period of time. And that begins the second half of the Great Tribulation. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He, the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, this is all following the great battle that we just described in heaven. Satan knows that his time is short. He knows that he doesn't have much time left to put together an army to destroy people. And ultimately, he still thinks he's going to destroy Christ. You talk about deception. You talk about a a, a person or an entity, a spirit that is so deceived, he still believes that he has a chance that he's going to destroy, and he always has wanted to be on God's throne. That's why he got cast out of heaven in the first place. And he still believes that he's going to defeat God, and he's going to defeat Jesus. So now this begins the pursuit of all godly people who accepted Christ after the rapture, including that Jewish remnant. Turn back to Revelation chapter 12. In this Jewish remnant is given a supernatural protection from God to protect her from the destructive forces of the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth after the great battle, he pursued the woman. The woman is the Jewish, the nation of Israel. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Remember, Jesus comes from the lineage of the Jewish lineage. Jesus is Jewish. So the woman is is the nation of Israel. Verse 14, but she, the nation of Israel, the remnant, was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. Verse 15, then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. So John the Revelator here is describing the nature of Satan's wrath for the last three and a half years of the tribulation against the godly remnant that's left. Obviously the Jewish nation and all Gentiles that have accepted Christ in that period of time. And God will provide a supernatural level of protection for that Jewish remnant to protect her from the certain death that the Antichrist would bring if he could catch her. Now, this flood of water, uh, some commentators look at it as it's possibly a flood of, 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 of an army, a great army that would be unleashed by the Antichrist to go out and chase the, the nation of Israel. So it's, you know, the flood, is, again, is the, the book of Revelation. Take it literally when you can, and when you can't, you have to look for the analogy that fits in the context. And so the context of this could very well be a great army that Satan and the Antichrist put together. And swallowing up, God intervenes supernaturally to protect them by swallowing up the water. Well, somehow God inter- supernaturally protects them. You know, God has a way of opening up the earth. Didn't he do that um, for the Israel Israelis or the Israelites when they were in the, um, the wilderness and those that um, rebelled against God? Didn't he open up the earth and swallow up like three thousand of them? So God can do lots of things. He supernaturally protects this 
fleeing remnant. But the false prophet here, as we've already introduced, has some very specific roles in, in promoting the Antichrist agenda to rule the world. The false prophet, acting as the religious leader, performs many miracles to deceive people to worship the Antichrist. Now we're getting into some really serious things here in the next few minutes. Revelation chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. There's a point in time where the Antichrist is martyred, slayed somehow. There's a wound, a head wound of some type. And the false prophet resurrects the Antichrist. It's like Jesus, replicating or duplicating everything Jesus did. Jesus died, rose again. The Antichrist dies, rises again, all right? And he does it to confuse the world, to prove to the world that he's God. Verse 13, the false prophet, he did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. That the statue of the of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Now, let's just pause here a minute. We've been going fast. There's a lot of stuff here we've been talking about. But the false prophet is able to perform many miracles, even to the point of giving a statue of the Antichrist the power to come to life and speak. And if people refuse to worship the statue, they will be put to death. Kind of sounds like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, doesn't it? You see, at the time of John writing this, and even maybe just a few years ago, even for us, the ability to give an image like that, the ability to speak, was unheard of. But do you see signs of it happening right now with artificial intelligence and robotics and biophysics and how they're talking about planting chips in minds of people that make them robotic humans? I mean, it's it's coming. The technology is coming to the point where it's very conceivable that this could happen. But even more important here is that the false prophet administers the mark of the beast that is required for all people to take, and that mark proves their worship of the Antichrist. This is why this is so important. Let's continue reading in chapter Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. The false prophet... It always also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, in other words, everybody, nobody escaped this, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, not only is this Antichrist or this false prophet forcing worship, 
But now he's forcing all people to take the mark of the Antichrist as a form of worship. And without this mark, no one can buy or sell. Basically, you are excommunicated from the world. You, there better be a great black market for, and there will be, for those left alone, left alive that are Christians. But there's a lot of speculation, and I don't know what this mark is actually going to be. There's a lot of speculation of what it's going to be. I don't have the answer to that other than to say this. Don't take it. Don't take it. If you're, if you're alive then, if somebody's watching this video then, don't take the mark of the beast because that will seal your death. That will seal you to eternal punishment like nothing else. Because what this mark means is you are aligning yourself with the Antichrist. You cannot take the mark of the beast by accident. It's not in the vaccine. It has nothing to do with COVID. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. I've heard people talk about it. You will not take the mark of the beast by accident. The mark of the beast says that you worship the Antichrist. And you take away, you you disavow God and you worship the Antichrist. That's why it's so serious. Because it's a proof of who you love. Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 through 11 Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger, God's wrath. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. You know, I find it so amazing that God establishes as proof that we love him that the enemy takes a similar strategy to prove that We love the Antichrist. We love the enemy. The power of choice. Listen, the power of choice is so powerful. This is the way we prove our love for God. That we love him because we obey him. It's our choice to love him. Nobody forces you to love God. And no one will force you to love the Antichrist unless you choose to. It's the power of your choice. So by the same power of choice is how we reject God and accept Satan. The same power, the same choice. And that choice is proven by the fact that those take, they take the mark of the beast. And that seals them. Satan's counterfeit of the, of the seal of God is the seal of his own. Because there is a seal given on the mark of the, of the believers there in the, or the, the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Revelation chapter 7 verse 3, it says to the angel, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So the mark of the beast dooms a person to eternal punishment. But the mark of God saves a person to eternal life. Again, Satan takes everything that God uses for good and he twists it around for his own use of deception and evil. So moving on, after this, the Antichrist launches a furious campaign to kill all people to annihilate all who those who are left alone, who are left there, who have received the Lord and all the Jews. And this final effort will be to kill everybody. I mean, until the final battle of Armageddon happens. When all this is over, Jesus returns to the earth. 
And all those that rejected will mourn because their just punishment is come. Now we're getting to the very end of the tribulation. Jesus describes what's going to happen here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 and 30. He says, immediately after the distress of those days, after the end of the tribulation, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Jesus comes back from heaven. And then all the peoples of the world will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is the second coming, which is different than the rapture. The rapture was a secret event that the world did not see. The second coming at the end of the tribulation, all the world sees Jesus. And they mourn because they know he's coming with wrath. They know he's coming because judgment is coming. The beast and the false prophet, they rally all the kings of the earth, the battle against Jesus. But they will be captured and destroyed along with all those that worship the beast and received his mark. Revelation chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. That's Jesus and the army of heaven. That's, that's us coming back with him. That's another conversation. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them, the false prophet and Antichrist, were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning fire. The rest, people, were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. What a, what a horrific time that's going to be. I know this sounds unbelievable, but it's real. It's going to happen And then after this comes the judgment of the sheep and goats and the beginning of the thousand-year millennial reign, and we'll pick that up next time. But that's just an amazing short version, if you will. Jackie, would you come, please? I know we've covered a lot of material here over the past two weeks of the purpose and the timing of the tribulation, and we're just scratching the surface. There's so much more we could talk about. But I want to just encourage us today that this is information for us, like I said at the very beginning, to warn us so that we can be prepared as part of the church that Jesus is coming back for, that we can be the bride of Christ and that we'll be raptured out of this so we don't have to go through this. But you know, it's interesting that Jesus, God, the Bible, the Holy Spirit gave all this information in the book of Revelation. Why? Because he wants us to study it. In fact, he gives a blessing to those that study the book of Revelation. For those that reveal, because the book of Revelation is really the the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And so for us to study this, this is not to bring fear. It's to bring warning and it's to bring encouragement for us that are alive to accept Jesus as our Savior and make him our Lord. Amen? That's what it's all about. So as we end the sermon today... And, 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 you know, I can give an altar call. I've done it before. But I, I want to end this way. I, I think most of us in this room probably have a relationship with Jesus. And hopefully many of this leading, listening as well. But 
even with that, even with that, we need to be careful. We need to guard our hearts. Because maybe we've done some things after our conversion experience that might be bothering us right now. Maybe you accepted Christ at some point in time in your life, but maybe you haven't been living for him the way you know you should be. And that should bring conviction to your heart. I pray it does. But that doesn't disqualify you if you understand what forgiveness is and understand what repentance is. And here's what we do. If you've fallen, made some mistakes, who hasn't? Let me ask that question. What do we do? We pray. Again and again and again. The prayer of repentance. The prayer of forgiveness. And I'm going to give you a great example of why I know this is true. I think we've all heard of King David, right? King David. What did God say about him? He was a man after his own heart. But do you know that King David was a murderer? Do you know that King David was an adulterer? Do you know that King David was a thief? Do you know that King David was a liar? King David did the most vile thing. He stole a man's wife. He had the man killed. He had adultery with her. He fornicated with her. And when he was approached by Nathan, the prophet, here's the thing that makes David the man after God's heart. It's how he received the word of his sin. Different than King Saul. It's a whole other message. But King David said, Woe is me. God, I have sinned and sinned against you only. Forgive me. And this is where I want to end today. Psalm chapter 51. And maybe you're like King David. Maybe you've had a relationship with Jesus and maybe you've fallen. I want you to know God forgives. Over and over again, He forgives. Psalm 51, verse 7 and 12 through 12. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's the prayer we pray. Close your eyes with me, if you will. Can you pray that prayer today? Do you have the heart of David? Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, help me to remember today what I'm praying so I can change my life tomorrow that I don't go out and repeat the same mistakes. That's repentance. It means turning away, going the other direction, following Jesus with all your heart, 
preparing yourself to be part of the church, the bride of Christ. this is your prayer today would you stand with me and let's sing this together raise your hands to worship and your heart to worship and just accept this as your prayer of repentance forgiveness today let's sing it again Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, that is a personal prayer that we all need to think about. We all need to pray that for ourselves. I can't pray that for anybody else besides Mike. And I pray, Father, that everyone here in the sound of this voice and online, I pray, God, that that's their heart, that they are examining their hearts. God, that we can have joy in the midst of the world today, that we can have peace knowing that we're right with you, that we have right relationship with you, that we are like King David. We are a man or a woman after your own heart because we understand repentance. We understand what it is to be forgiven again and again and again. And with that, we have hope, assurance, and we have the blessed hope of what's happening, what's coming next. And we can have joy. Help us, Father, to spread that joy today. Help us to be good in the people that we're with. That God, that we're sharing the love of Christ. That our hearts and lives are pure before you and others. But that we'd be evangelists in this world while we have time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed today.